Turn to Daniel chapter 5 this morning. Daniel chapter 5. And we're kind of in the, uh, the part of Daniel where it's just, it's just kind of telling stories about uh, things that went on during Daniel's time in Babylon. It's more of a narrative. And uh, there's some prophecy at, um, in the book, uh, some, some, really some astounding uh, prophecy. We'll be coming to that. Uh, but there's another part of, uh, just another story here that Daniel uh, has uh, that's recorded by inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, um, having to do with this man, uh, Belshazzar. And uh, it's just a, just a brief account, but it's powerful and just has some real applicable things uh, in it here. And they'll probably confront some stuff uh, in our own lives here this morning as well. But... Uh, be good reminders uh, to us, at least, and a uh, very interesting story. Right, one of the most interesting stories in the Bible, if you try to picture it, if you picture what was going on, uh, if you just use your imagination uh, here, your God-given imagination. And uh, the title of the message, and, you know, I, don't, I guess I don't feel like I have to give a title, but uh, um, I usually pray, you know, Lord, you, uh, if you want me to, give, uh, to have a title, give, give me a title, and he did it for this message. Uh, the title that he gave to me is Misappropriated Goods. Misappropriated Goods. And uh, if you don't have any idea, you know, how to spell that or whatever, neither did I. I to, had to look it up. But uh, the, the point is that misappropriated is misapplied or um, applied in the wrong way or applied to something that it shouldn't have been applied to. And so you had some things that were of value here that this man arbitrarily felt like he could just take and could just use them however he wanted to use them. And in free choice that God has given us, maybe one of the greatest gifts of all that he's given us, you know, that can be, that can be greatly abused. That's the downside of free choice. The downside of a free choice is that sometimes we take something that is supposed to be applied in this way, and instead we misappropriate it. We, we, we choose to, to take something that God has entrusted to us, that God has said, you know, I am giving this as a gift for you to have stewardship over, for you to, to manage, for you to be purposeful in regards to for you to be intentional to take this and apply it in the right way, to use it the way that it's supposed to be used, for the right things. Well, we as, you, as willful creatures, what do we do? Oh, we look at that and we say, hey, I've got some ideas as to how I want to use this and how I want to apply this. Things of value that God has given you. And how are you using those things of value? Misappropriated uh, goods. And uh, so let's just ask uh, the Lord uh, to help us with this. But before we do that, let's, uh, let's just read two verses here. We're in Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, and it says in verse 3, Then they brought the golden vessels. There's the goods. There's the, vi the valuable items. Then they brought the golden vessels that were taken out of the temple of the house of God. That's where they were meant to be applied. 
which was at Jerusalem. And the king and his princes, his wives and his concubines drank in them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver and of brass and of iron, of wood and of stone. Misappropriated goods. Let's pray. Lord, please help us now as we look at truth from your word. Lord, just uh, open it up to us, Lord. Just uh, shine your light brightly on the truth. Uh, Lord, use this, uh, this uh, feeble mouthpiece, Lord, to deliver uh, this uh, uh, so important message at this time. And Lord, I pray that we would be uh, earnest hearers, uh, but also that we would be uh, eager uh, obeyers of the truth. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. It mentions Belshazzar here in the first uh, verse. It says, Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast. And so uh, we're going to see here the first point. We're going to talk about Belshazzar. But the first point is Belshazzar's folly. Belshazzar's folly. Because look at what it says here. The king made a great feast. Well, nothing wrong with that. Uh, we make some great feasts around here once in a while. And, uh, and we try to, uh, uh, to not misappropriate the goods, right? God has given us some goods, and we use them as a, as, a, as a time to gather around and to fellowship and to encourage one another and to, um, to celebrate that's something that's God-given. But this wasn't a celebration here to honor the Lord. This wasn't a celebration of the truth that would have been held in His holy temple where these vessels, uh, where these vessels had been consecrated towards. Instead of Belshazzar, he has a worldly party here, basically, is what's going on. Belshazzar the king made a great feast for thousands of his lords, and drank uh, wine before the, the thousands. And so this is a drinking party here, is what it is. And, uh, um, you know, not all feasts are, 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 are honoring to the Lord. And so it says, Belshazzar, while he tasted the wine, commanded. And so this wasn't something that was just sort of like a, a mistake, you know. It was just something that uh, he wasn't thinking about clearly, and he, and he, and he did. And, and, if, and if, he, if he had to do over again, you know, um, he just kind of slept, and, 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 and he wouldn't have done it that way if he was thinking. He commanded. In other words, this is very purposeful. This is very intentional of him. And uh, I would like to give him the excuse. I mean, he was drinking here, so, uh, so you know, he was just inebriated, and he, and he wasn't thinking clearly. That's why he did this. But he was thinking clearly enough to say, hey, I'm giving you the orders. Go over and get those, get those vessels, get those cups that were supposedly to this great God that these Israelites had there in the temple that they had in Jerusalem, the one that we defeated, the one that we brought over here, these cups that have just been sitting there. Let's take those and let's use them for our party. And that's exactly what happened here. It says, he commanded them to bring the golden and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken out of the temple, which was in Jerusalem, that the king and his princes, his wives, and his concubines might drink therein. When you get to this point, and then, he, and then you go on to think, not only did he do that, not only did he use these vessels that were supposed to be committed to God for this drunken party, but then he went on to turn this party, this, this debauchery, into a, a worship of pagan, satanic gods. Taking that which is supposed to be committed to the Lord and, and literally committing it to the devil instead. At this point, you're like, Belshazzar, are you out of your mind? 
Do you realize what you're doing, my friend? Do you realize what you're playing with here? You're taking something that was supposed to be for God and for recognition and service to God, and you're using it for totally worldly, not only that, but for the devil, for the world, the flesh, and the devil. That's what you're using it for. And uh, we see Belshazzar's folly there. I mean, you're looking at that and you're saying, nothing good can come out of that. God is not mocked. And when God entrusts something of value to somebody, and you're thinking about these vessels here that were, were, were supposed to be consecrated to the temple of holy God, and you're thinking, you know, well, for example, I mean, we're called vessels, aren't we? And we're supposed to be vessels to honor. <laughs> you know, God has given you a, a mind to have stewardship over. He has given you a body. He has given you time. He has given you some resources, and he's letting you make choices according to that. And you say, well, you know, I would never take, I mean, I would never take things, you know, for example, that were, say, supposed to be used for communion here at the church and go have a drunken party with them. I'd never do that. No, but you would take other things that God has entrusted to you. You would take your mind, your body, and your time, and, and you would devote that to all kinds of foolishness at times. So what's the difference? What's the difference? What's the difference between what he did here and you say, it's so easy for us to get into these stories. Well, you know, I'd never bow down to that image and, and I would never use those cops to, you know, to have. But God has given you some things which he has said, you know, these are the vessels that I've given it to you. They're supposed to be vessels of honor. In fact, let's take a step further. You are the temple of the Holy Spirit. These are supposed to be things that are, that are part of the temple of the Holy Spirit, not a temple made with hands, a temple that's made by God, which he indwells in, which you, is supposed to be for him and dedicated to him. But instead, very foolishly, what do we do? We misappropriate the goods. So many times we use our, 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 our mind, our body, and our resources just for ourselves, for ourselves, just to, just to have a you know, good time the way we want to do it. We're no different than Belshazzar. We exercise our will to take the important things and the valuable things that God has given us, the goods that he's entrusted to us, to use them for everything except for purposefully for the glory of God. And that was the folly. That was the folly of, uh, of Belshazzar here. And uh, his big mistake, taking that which was meant to be dedicated to Elohim, the one true almighty God, and instead dedicating it to the world, uh, the flesh, and the devil. And so we see Belshazzar's folly, firstly, and then secondly, we see God's finger. We see God's finger. And I know it says the, uh, the fingers of a man's hand, but we know this was no mere man. We know this was no mere man. God is using that which looks like the fingers of a man. And... Uh, you know, whenever I get to this passage, I always think of uh, uh, Tom Farrell preaches a message on this, this passage, and, and the, title, the title he gives to the passage is, When God Crashes Your Party. <laughs> because what does man do? Man takes that which God has given him, but they don't recognize God with it. They just have their own parties with it. They just use it for the, 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 their, own, their own pastimes, their own flesh, their own, uh, you know, whatever they want to do to have, to have a good time through life. But Tom Farrell, you know, he's preaching on this, and, and, and uh, he said, hey, look, while you have your, your party, you recognize that God doesn't cease to exist, and there's going to be a time when God crashes your party. 
And I think about, uh, well, a lot of times we think, we think we're invincible. We think we can do whatever we want and, and nothing's ever going to come of it. I mean, you had these, these walls here that are around Babylon, uh, you know, that uh, from what I understand, the walls themselves were thick enough so that several chariots could go in either direction up on those walls all around, all around the city. Uh, tremendously uh, tall uh, walls that, that were impenetrable, they said. There's no way. I mean, you could have whatever party you wanted in there and, and nobody could do anything about it. Everything's under control. I can do what I want to do when I want to do it, and no one's going to tell me otherwise. And that's the attitude Belshazzar was having. But all of a sudden, the finger of God comes and uh, writes some things on the wall here. And let's look at it. It says in verse 5, it says, In that same hour came forth the fingers of a man's hand and wrote over against the candlestick upon the plaster of the wall of the king's palace. And the king saw the part of the hand that wrote. And so that's literally what happened here. God crashed the party at this point. And when we stop and think and say, wow, Belshazzar, are you out of your mind? Are you crazy taking that which is supposed to be devoted to God and just use it for, for yourself and for your own pleasure? Well, that's one thing for us to think that. But what is God thinking at this point? What's God's reaction to this? What does God have to say? His hand comes and it writes something on the wall. The finger of God. And you know, God has a way of doing that in our lives. God has a way of coming into our lives and he'll, he'll, he'll show us some things. You're going to see the hand of God there. And it might be through some circumstances. It might be uh, through, through the Bible. It might be, like we said last week, through another person that he brings into your life, but, but the finger of God is writing something for you to see clearly. Belshazzar saw it at this point. And God was saying, look, Belshazzar, what you're doing is way off base, and I'm going to give you some truth according to what you're doing right now. And, you know, people might come. You might, you might feel sometimes like people are interrupting your party. And you're just like, lay off, man. It's my life, <laughs> you know? Who are you to judge me and tell me what to do? Okay, well, maybe there's nobody to do that. But does God get to? Does the God that made you, does he get to say? And whether you think he gets to say or not, what are you going to do when his finger comes and, and, and points to some things? When the inevitable happens that God is there and God wants your attention, what then? Are you still going to have that attitude with God? Are you going to have the same attitude with God that you have with other people? Don't tell me. I don't want to hear it. I want to misappropriate the goods. I know God gave me this life, but I just want to use it for myself. I don't care what you say. Get out of my face. Okay, are you going to have that same attitude with God? I would caution you, above all else, do not have that same attitude with God. I would point to this story, and I would say to you, without any apology, and I would even beg of you, do not have that attitude with God. Because when the finger came and it wrote upon the wall, it was a fearsome thing. And it's something that when it happened, it would have been much better if Belshazzar was already in the fear of God than him to be jolted into the fear of God. And that's the next point here is Belshazzar's fear. 
Belshazzar's fear. Look at verses 6 through 9. And so he's cocky, right? And he's saying, hey, you know what we're going to do? This is a great party, guys. We're having a great party here, and uh, this is fun. You know what would be even more fun? Let's go get those vessels that are supposed to be committed to that God down there in Israel. And, uh, you know, the God that, uh, that uh, and it mentions uh, Nebuchadnezzar being, being his father in the language here. Uh, it, it actually is his grandfather, but it's, it's talking about a heritage uh, here. And, you know, the, the, I, know, I know Grandpa. I mean, I know Grandpa. He talks some things about God and how this God was great and everything. But, hey, personally, I don't have any use for it. Go get those vessels. Bring them in here, and let's have even more fun. And let's use the vessels that are supposed to be for God, you know, to serve all these uh, little G gods. And uh, so he has no fear of God, no fear whatsoever, no regard for his creator. But all of a sudden, that finger comes and writes something on the wall. It writes something. And he sees, he sees that it's writing something. And all of a sudden, look at this. Uh, then the king's countenance was changed. <laughs> Not quite as cocky anymore. Not quite as cocky anymore. You got the one who says, hey, I'm going to live life the way I want to live it. I'm going to do what I want when I want to do it. And there's some swagger there, and there's some, you know, some invincibility there. But God's finger comes and writes, and then all of a sudden, the countenance changes. All of a sudden, some reality starts to set in. And it says the king's countenance was changed, and his, and his thoughts troubled him. And so they should have. <laughs> He sobered up all of a sudden, didn't he? And his, the joints of his loins were loosed. And his knees smote together. And he's just, you know, I mean, he's, he's shaking. I mean, that's, that's what it says. I'm not trying to be sensational. He's, this is this big, strong king here who's all cocky. He's like, yeah, I'm going to do whatever. I'm going to bring that in here. And all of a sudden, he's seeing this hand. And he's like, whoa. And, and he's just shaking in his boots, I guess we'd call it. And... Uh, it says in, in, in that the king's countenance changed so that the joints of his loins were loosed and his knees smote one against another. The king cried aloud to bring in the astrologers. That's going to be real helpful. Hey, uh, you know, we've been, uh, we've, been, we've been sowing to the devil here. God's trying to get our attention. Let's get some more demons in here and try to solve the problem. Um, and so the astrologers, the Chaldeans, the soothsayers, the king uh, spake and said to the wise men of Babylon, Whosoever shall uh, uh, read this writing and show me the interpretation thereof um, shall be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold about his neck and shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Then came in all the king's wise men, and we've seen these clowns before, but they could not read the writing nor make known to the king the interpretation thereof. Then was King Belshazzar greatly troubled, and his countenance was changed in him, and his lords were astonished, or astonished. All right? And so he sees, hey, this is, uh, hey, uh, uh, you know, I've been drinking quite a bit, but I, 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 I still know what I saw. And what I saw was something that was supernatural. I saw something that troubled me. I saw something that stopped me in my tracks. And uh, the thing of it is, is I want to know what was written on there. Because I have a sense, whatever it was, is going to impact my life greatly. And I'm not going to be at peace until I find out what that was. And uh, what is God trying to tell me, right? 
And we haven't been walking with God. We haven't been looking to, for God. We've been just doing our own thing. And so, you know, even when God's trying to tell us something, we can't even discern it because we're so unspiritual and we're so, we're, we so misappropriated the goods. We're so self-centered. We're so worldly. We're, we're so darkened in our spiritual understanding that when, even when God's finger comes right up to us and writes something on the wall, we can't even see it and we don't even acknowledge it. And then when we do acknowledge it, we're like, well, you know, that bothers me. And I think, you know, uh, maybe I can find something that can explain it to me. And, uh, and so there's fear that sets in. The Bible says that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And maybe this will be the beginning of some wisdom for Belshazzar here. But wouldn't it have been better? Wouldn't it have been better if his wisdom had begun sooner? Wouldn't it have been better if he had had some sense before this not to mess with the things that God had given him? Would have been better if he'd if he'd have had that that reverence for God, and saying, you know, I don't just want to talk about God. I just want God just to talk about religion and being a part, you know, that church that I go to once in a while. There is a God. He's a Creator God. He's all powerful. He has all wisdom, and I want to walk my life in my in my life in awe of that, in recognition of that, with some Godward orientation as to what this is all about, and some humility before Him. And Belshazzar had none of that humility until the finger came and wrote on the wall. And now he goes from, from uh, arrogance to, to fear. And it's not the fear of reverence of God. It's the fear of, of, it's a fear of terror. Everybody will have the fear of God in one shape or form sometime in their existence. But the right type of fear is, hey, I, I acknowledge that God is, and I'm not, and I'm in reverence and awe of who he is. The fear that Belshazzar had here was terror because he knew that he didn't have that kind of fear. And when God showed up on the scene and crashed his party, that was a whole different level of fear that set in. And so uh, we see in verses 10 to 17, uh, Daniel comes on the scene. We're going to call it Daniel's favor, Daniel's favor. And, and it says in verse 10, Now the queen, by reason of the words of the king and his lords came into the banquet and house. So she heard what was going on. And the queen spake and said, O king, live forever. Let not thy thoughts trouble thee, nor let thy countenance be changed. And so he's partying there, and his wife isn't even, you know, there. But she shows up, and she hears what's going on. There is a man in thy kingdom, in whom the spirit of the holy gods, and in the days of thy father... Light and understanding and wisdom, like the wisdom of the gods, was found in him, whom the king Nebuchadnezzar, thy father of the king, I say thy father, made master of the magicians, astrologers, Chaldeans, and soothsayers. For as much as an excellent spirit and knowledge and understanding and interpretation of dreams and showing of hard sentences and dissolving of doubts, isn't that interesting, were found in that same Daniel, whom the king named Belteshazzar. Now let Daniel be called, and he will show the interpretation. Then was Daniel brought, verse 13, in, uh, before the king. And the king sp uh, spake and said unto Daniel, Art thou that Daniel, which art of the children of the captivity of Judah, whom the king my father brought out of Jewry? I, I have even heard of thee, that the spirit of the gods is in thee, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom is found in thee. And now the wise men, the astrologers, have been brought in before me, that thou shouldst read uh, this writing, and make known unto me the interpretation thereof, but they could not show the interpretation of the thing. Verse 16, And I have heard of thee, that thou canst make interpretation and dissolve doubts. 
Now if thou canst read the writing and make known to me the interpretation thereof, thou shalt be clothed with scarlet and have a chain of gold above thy, about thy neck and shalt be the third ruler in the kingdom. Now he made the mistake, you know, that Daniel was going to have the same values he had. And, uh, hey, Daniel, you might not feel like doing this for me, but I'll tell you what, you know, I'm going to give you these. I'm going to lavish you with these, these uh, gifts that you're not going to be able to resist helping me out. Verse 17, then Daniel answered and said before the king, let thy gifts be to thyself. <laughs> not really interested in all those things, especially. Give thy rewards to another, yet I will read the writing unto the king and make known to him the interpretations. Now, look, when, when they raided uh, Jerusalem, when they raided Israel and brought these young men over there, saved these young men alive to be a servant. You know what it talks about then? It talks about they were the, 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 the smart, intelligent guys. They were good-looking. They were well-favored. Um, they, they were very gifted, I guess we would say. They were very gifted. Every single one of them was. And I assume there was probably hundreds and not thousands of them. They were all very gifted, okay? But Daniel was favored in a way that evidently few of them really were. You know what Daniel had that most of them didn't have? He had an excellent spirit. An excellent spirit. And sometimes as Christians, you know, we honor the same things the world honors. Uh, I want my kid to be really smart and know a lot of things and, uh, you know, to, to be very, very gifted and to be very successful in, in the world's definition of that. And I want all these things, you know, they're just kind of like, uh, they're, they're, um, they're, they're, they're accomplishments. They're accomplishments. And we honor these accomplishments. But you know what God honors? God honors godly spirit. A godly spirit. Something that can't just be accomplished through, through, through human achievement. Not just achievement oriented. You know, the, the pagan king, he's looking for the achievement. Give me the smartest, you know, the most talented, the most gifted. God says, hey, let me tell you about Daniel. Daniel had an excellent spirit. Daniel honored me. And because of that, Daniel was favored in the eyes of God and used in a special way in the eyes of God. He was unique among leaders because of his spirit and because of his godliness. And that's what we should be honoring. That's what we should be honoring. And uh, so Daniel was favored, and he granted a favor uh, to the king. And, uh, and then uh, um, I want to I mention this carefully because this is more of my interpretation and my thoughts than necessarily what we see directly here. But I, I want to draw some inferences that I think could, could maybe shed some light in this direction. And I'm calling it Nebuchadnezzar's failure. Now, you say, you know, why are you bringing poor Nebuchadnezzar back in the picture here? Uh, Okay, we already kind of saw his miserable story, but it did end great, didn't it? I mean, he did come to a recognition of God ultimately. Remember, he was the one that, 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 that very pridefully and arrogantly went up and talked about how he had made this, this, uh, this, this kingdom and how he accomplished these things. And then God said, hey, I'm going to show you how, how uh, um, great you are. You know, why don't you go out there? Why don't you go out in the pasture and, and spend seven years out there like a cow? And then we'll discuss it further uh, you know, after that. And, of course, he was very... He was very uh, humbled and got great perspective from that. And what did he do? He ended up worshiping the, the God, the one true God. Nebuchadnezzar, I believe, will see him in heaven one day. But what I'm thinking is that Nebuchadnezzar got back to managing his kingdom and neglected passing on some of these truths to really the main part of his kingdom. 
and that was his, his son and his grandsons. Um, you know, just the name Belshazzar. I mean, this is, this is one generation later, and what's the name of the grandson? Belshazzar. Belshazzar is um, a derivative of Baal, and you study Baal throughout, throughout history. By the way, do you, do you, do you realize, you, you think we're very sophisticated in the United States and in the world right now? Do you think there's still, do you, do you realize there's still elements of Baal worship in our society right now? Study that out sometime. Research that. There are elements in our very country, in, in, in some cults and in some secretive societies that trace back in their whole lineage of Baal worship to this very day. It's unreal. It's, 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 uh, uh, it's satanic. And he's the god of this world, and he's always going to perpetuate these things. From the tower of Baal, Rayon, you know, of Babel, um, which was all about the worship of Baal. And, uh, and so, anyways, we, we, we have uh, Belshazzar here. Bel protect the king. That's what his name was. Not Elohim protect the king. Which is, you know, Bel- uh, uh, Nebuchadnezzar ended up recognizing Elohim. He's the one true God. He even made an edict. Nobody worship him except, you know, nobody worship anybody except, except him. But what happened? Well, through that somehow, he, 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 he failed to transfer that vision to his son and to his grandson. And here we have Belshazzar. What's his name? Bel protect the king. Baal. And uh, despite Nebuchadnezzar's uh, uh, profession... Um, his family had never fully eradicated themselves of their identification or allegiance to the pagan demonic bell. And, uh, you know, sometimes that's the way we are. We're too busy managing our, our earthly kingdom to pass on a godly heritage to those that God has given it to, to us to pass it on to. Be careful about that. Be careful about that. Hey, look, I know you got your kingdom, you know. You got your business. You got your, your, you're providing, you're trying to build something, but within what you're building, don't forget the most important thing. I mean, if that godly heritage had been passed on, and I'm not, and, and we're going to see some things here that, you know, that, that, that Belshazzar did have, he, he was personally responsible. I mean, there was no excuse for him. He made his own decisions ultimately. And, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into this. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar did a great job of teaching his son, and, and just somehow, you know, the choices were made otherwise. I don't know that for sure. I do know, I do know this. Did you see it? Did you see that the queen had to come in and remind him of who Daniel was? I mean, this is one generation removed, and, and how remarkable was the story of what Daniel did for, for, for King Nebuchadnezzar, how he brought him to the Lord, how he interpreted his dream for him, and not only that, but told him what the dream was. I mean, how remarkable was Daniel and influential in that family. But yet, what do we have? We have one generation later that, you know, Belshazzar doesn't even remember anything about Daniel. And he had to be reminded who Daniel was when he had his own, you know, issues there. And his, his wife, you know, thank the Lord for good wives, had to remind him, uh, hey, hey, remember that guy Daniel? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, furthest thing from his mind at that point. And, uh, and so I see here, you know, I see perhaps some failure on, in the heritage, perhaps on the part even of Nebuchadnezzar, to pass on uh, this, this, this vision. Let's wrap up the story here. And uh, we come to 
uh, the point uh, in, in verses 24 to 30, and there'll be a little more reading here. We'll come to some concluding thoughts that'll help it bring it all together for us. And, uh, and that's this, and that's this very sobering truth that all of us have to reckon with eventually, death's finality. Death's finality. Let's read the verses. It says here in verse 24, uh, <clears throat> it says, uh, Then was part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. So, so Daniel talks about Nebuchadnezzar, and he talks about um, how uh, uh, God had worked in Nebuchadnezzar, his grandfather's life. And then he goes on to talk about how, you know, your grandfather didn't glorify God, and that cost him dearly. And now you're not glorifying God, and now I'm going to tell you what he wrote on the wall. This is what he wrote on the wall. Then was part of the hand sent from him, and this writing was written. Look at verse 25. And this is the writing that was written. Mene, mene, tekel, eupharsin. This is the interpretation of the thing. Can you imagine, I mean, Belshazzar, his mind's racing here. Oh, man, what is this saying? What is God going to tell me here? Am I in big trouble? And uh, many, God hath numbered thy kingdom and finished it. Tekel, thou art weighed in the balances and are found wanting. Perez, thy kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then commanded Belshazzar, and they clothed Daniel with scarlet, and put up a chain of gold in his neck, and made a proclamation concerning him that he should be the third ruler in the kingdom. And God expanded Daniel's realm of influence here, and Belshazzar made good on his, on his reward. But look at verse 30. In that night, in that night, how quickly after the party he was throwing for himself, in that night was Belshazzar the king of the Chaldeans slain. And don't you just feel there's a finality there for Belshazzar? It's that finality that's going to come to every human being that has ever walked the face of the planet. There's going to come that time where their life is over with. And what's going to matter at that point? What is going to be worth, worthy at that point? What's it all going to be have been worth at that point? Where have the goods been appropriated? <laughs> Those decision-making abilities that God gave us, how did we use them? How did we use the ability that God gave us to see truth? How did we use the ability that God gave us to take the gifts that he granted us and invest them for him? How did he take the good things that he gave us in our lives and, and appreciate those things and give God thanks for those things and say, Lord, I want to do whatever I can to just give glory to you and to, to show gratitude in my heart by serving you with my life, by taking the goods that you've given me and appropriate them properly for you. It is appointed that the man wants to die and then the judgment. And that is true for every human being who walks on the face of the earth, including you and including I. And there's a finality to that as far as the opportunities that this lifetime holds. We only get one shot at it. Belshazzar only got one shot, one shot, uh, one shot at it. And it says here that uh, his kingdom was taken from him and given to another. Now you think about that. Belshazzar had taken that which is supposed to be for God's kingdom and had given it to other gods, right? He had taken from the kingdom of God and given it to 
something else. Now God was taking his kingdom from him and giving it to somebody else. You say, how terrible that Belshazzar lost his kingdom. You say, oh, he lost it all. What a tragic story. And we say that sometimes. But it's only if we come to verse 30 without turning to the Lord that we truly lose it all. Because, you know, somebody can lose all the earthly goods that there are in this world. And if they have the Lord, they're still a rich man. And they have never lost it all. Remember the, uh, remember the, the uh, Lazarus, the guy who came to the rich man's table and was like one of the dogs, humanly speaking. He had to just eat the crumbs from underneath the table of the rich man. But when the rich man died, what happened? He was buried and his soul went into torments. When Lazarus died, the angels came and gave him a glorious heavenly escort <laughs> into eternity. Why? Because Lazarus had thought about his appointment with death. The rich man had it. The rich man had it. And death's finality will reach all of us as far as our opportunity here on earth goes. And then lastly, God's future. God's future. God wants you to recognize that he has a wonderful future prepared for you. And God's future will go on with or without us. Look at verse 30. Uh, sorry, verse 31. It says, And Darius the Median took the kingdom, being about three score and two, two years. And so it just kind of continues on here. Hey, look, you know what I mean? This is the way it is in history. This person dies, this person comes and takes their place. It's as simple as that. I mean, yeah, I mean, I, you know, Belshazzar's like, I'm, I'm, I'm important here. This, this is not going to go on without me. God needs me, you know. He dies. Someone else comes and takes his place. It was forecasted that was going to happen. Nebuchadnezzar was told that was going to happen. The Medes and the Persians came, and they accomplished God's purpose, and God's future continued right on without Belshazzar. Don't you want to be a part of God's plan? Don't you want your life to count for what God is doing? Everybody serves something. Don't you want to serve the Lord? Don't you want to look at it and say, man, you know, this part of what God is doing right now and whatever the future holds on into eternity, that's where I want to stand right there. I want to be on his side. I want to be in reverence of him all of my days, right on continuously into to eternity. And I don't fear that appointment with death because I know it's just going to be a doorway for me. And Jesus, through his resurrection, what did he do? He conquered death. <laughs> death, where's your sting? There is no sting to it anymore. Where's your victory, death? Death has no recourse over me. I'm just going to continue into the future with God who has it all planned out forever. And nothing's ever going to alter his plan. But you know what? God can alter your plan if it doesn't include him. And the finger of God will come into your life. And what will it tell you at that point? You see, today is a day where God is being gracious to each one of us. Before that final finger of doom arrives, as it were, God is saying, hey, look, why don't you look at this story about Belshazzar? Why don't you look about the misappropriated goods in his life? And why don't you make a decision right now where it doesn't have to get to this point? Why don't you make a decision that you're going to take this one life that God has given you and you say, you know, 
I'm just going to commit. It totally makes sense for me to commit this to the Lord, to take those goods and appropriate them in the right way, to be a vessel of honor that remains in God's temple, as it were, the vessel of your body, the vessel of your life, the vessel of the Holy Spirit indwelling you, in you through your relationship with Jesus Christ, being committed to God, a vessel that is honorable to his service. Vessels for the master's use, the song says. And uh, that's the good life right there. Belshazzar thought he was living the good life, and he missed out. He missed out on just exercising his will to say, I see the value of what God's given me, and I want to use that, and I want to invest it for him, for him. Let's pray. Oh, Lord.